What's up, everybody, and welcome welcome to episode 41 of the Thoughts from the Basement podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris Kiningham. To my right, your left, we've got... Ooh, hey, Alex Mark. How's it going, folks? And then across from him, we've got the one and only... Phil. Phil. And joining us today on this very special episode of the Thoughts from the Basement podcast, we've got writer Brian Edward Hill joining us all the way from sunny California. How are you today? I'm good. Uh, how are you guys doing? Oh, oh great. We're, we're great. It's raining here and gross, so... <laughs> Oh, is it really? Yeah, I can yeah. see the nice weather just by looking at 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 your place. It's just it's brighter there. <laughs> just in well, general. you know, I so I I got a spot in this like high rise downtown, right? And I joke that I'm like David Bowman from 2001. Like I don't <laughs> really go to the surface anymore. I like talk to people <laughs> through screens, and then I run on a treadmill and I eat my little meals out of the microwave, and it's, it's a really <laughs> nice. weird space station experience. Yeah, nice. does, it, does your computer tell you that you can and can't do things? I, you know, I mean, I mean Alexa has, has <laughs> thoughts for me Yeah, a lot. She judges me sometimes. She can be judgy. Well, it's yeah. raining in the woods here, so you could be... Right on. Well, I'm from Missouri, like, so I know all about it. Horror movie look we've got going on right now. Yeah. So Brian, why don't you why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, you've done some writing for. Um, so I'm I'm Brian Hill. Uh, let's see. Uh, I write comic books. I write television shows. I write movies. Um, some of the things that you have uh, maybe heard of that I've been involved with. I was uh, a writer on Ash vs Evil Dead uh, season three. I have been part of the show Titans since the beginning of it. We, we're just wrapping up production on season three of that. Um, I, uh, writing the Power Rangers thing, um, uh, movie. Uh, I got some other things I'm doing I can't really talk <laughs> about. I wrote X-Men comics, uh, Fallen Angels I wrote recently, Batman and the Outsiders. I, I, do, I, I do nerd stuff. I'm Hell yeah. Nerd, I, I nerd write. Yeah, <laughs> well, we we nerd listen and nerd talk all the time. That's true. So. <laughs> Quite a lot. Right on. Okay. Cool. 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 So this is family. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. Yes. For sure. For sure. Um, Alex here is a big fan of the Evil Dead franchise. Yes. Very much. Oh, right on. Yeah. That's that's. I mean, it's it's awesome. I'm excited. I'm excited for the. They're apparently making another one. Oh, are they really? Heard. Yeah. They yeah. Are. Uh-huh. With continuation the, of the series. Of the uh-huh. series. Yeah. Yeah. So you did? Did you do? You said I mean, you did pretty much anything three? you've ever loved or heard of. You can just assume they're making another one, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like just you know when uh, don't know, but they're making another one. Right? There's, they're yeah, they're yeah. always making another one these days. As long as they never make another Big Lebowski, I will be okay. Well, yeah, you know, um, those kind of like like one off cultural like lightning projects. Those are hard to remake, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, I sometimes I'll come up. Uh, on like a though someone wants to bring me in to pitch a take on something and I'll hear what it is and I, I, mean, I won't go into titles but like you you can't like there's, <laughs> there there is no modern version of that you know it's a combination of who was in it when it was released you know where we were kind of culturally it's really hard to like lightning in a bottle twice you know yeah for sure so you said you worked you worked on season three of Ash vs Evil Dead. I did, yeah. Okay. Um, I came in on the final season. Uh, showrunner Mark Verheiden, who is a lovely human being. Um, I had not been working in television. I, you know, I was one of those guys. So, grew up in St. Louis, went to NYU. Um, 
you know, just kind of bummed around New York for a while. I wrote Dolph Lundgren movie when I was like <laughs> 21 or something and thought that that was it. Like that was the pinnacle of all things. Right. I mean, like I'm hanging out with Drago. Yeah. Why would you not? Like... Right. Hollywood dreams fulfilled. Right. Can't tell me nothing. Um, <laughs> and then after that, I just wrote, you know, wrote some scripts and sold some scripts. And so I was kind of out there like selling scripts to people, selling pitches and kind of making my way as the screenwriter writer and I, I was writing a top cow book called postal and uh, i wrote that book for like two years and so that book got to mark verheiden the showrunner of evil dead who realized that i had written a television pilot um not based on that but you know like writers have samples you know you just have things you do so i had this tv pilot he read that liked it and then just gave me a call like, out of the blue was like, hey, you know, I'm Mark for Hyden. I'm, you know, running Ash vs. Evil Dead. Do you want to take a meeting about, you know, working on the show? And I was like, cool, because I'm a huge, like, Sam Raimi fan, horror fan, Evil Dead fan. But I didn't really work to get it directly. It just sort of showed up, like, mystically. Yeah. Um, and I met with Mark, and he was an awesome person. And uh, then I just like, yeah, sure. And then it jumped on, and uh, that was my first TV job. Um, and it became real clear to me that it was like actually a TV thing when um, I was in my office. Cause every writer gets a little office. I, I shared an office with a, a fantastic writer named Caitlin Mears. And Caitlin was out of the office. I don't know why she just was around, but I was in there and I hear this like beautiful melodic voice ask me where the pretzels are. <laughs> so I, I turn around and it's Lucy Lawless just like standing mm, in my doorway, oh. just like, hi, you know, I'm not going to do a New Zealand accent. I'll embarrass myself. But she's like, hey, uh, do you know where the pretzels are? And I'm like, the, the, the Zena. <laughs> Zena pretzel. <laughs> Zena me pretzel. And so uh, uh, she was like, oh, okay. Um, you're high functioning. And then uh, she w- went on and, and found, uh, no, no, she was really cool. Um, but I, w- I really was, like, my tongue was like 2,000 pounds when I saw her. Uh, you know, it's it's all theoretical until you're there and like you see somebody i never geek out over like the people that like blew up when i was a professional right like it's the people that like were around when i was still playing like street fighter third strike and thinking about stories and the rest of it those are the people that you just geek out about you know like you, you just can't turn it off you know and so um but that was cool and it was a great experience i enjoyed it um yeah, was, uh, Ivan Ramey was in the room, so I got Darkman mm. stories at lunch. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, like every lunch, you know, we would, uh, we'd order the food in, and so I would sit next to Ivan Ramey, and I'd be like, Mr. Ramey, tell me tales of the Darkman. <laughs> <laughs> and then he would, like, tell me really cool Liam Neeson stories. It was, it was a really, really fun experience. <laughs> Fantastic writers, um, brilliant uh, showrunner Mark. Just You couldn't have a better first experience in tea, I think. Yeah. So now you were working in like a writer's room, correct? I was working in a writer's room. Yeah. So yeah, we we're over in Santa Monica, so, uh, that which is the west side of the city, closer to the water. Gotcha. Uh, what is that like compared to just like when, I mean, clearly, you know, when you're writing on your own, you have your own thoughts and you can just kind of plow through your own things. But like, what is it like compared to doing that versus in a writer's room when you have like more people working on one thing versus one person working on multiple things? Is there different approaches? Well, when you're in a writer's room, you know, you you can't wear, like, a weird uh, Amazon skull cap and have a Nintendo joystick on your couch, right? Yeah. Like, so 
there's uh, it, it's a little more professional, you know, I, in the sense that you have to go to a place, right? Like um, I spent most of my writing time just writing alone, really, you know, I mean, that's what you do. Right. So like, you know, when I was building a portfolio, I was working on screenplays. I mean, I must've written 26 screenplays or something before I made a dollar in the business, you know, and that's all stuff that you do by yourself. You give it to your friends. And I have a lot of friends that are actors and they're very patient with me. And when I'll write something, I'll, you know, kind of buy them all food and they'll go, they'll read it in front of me so I can make sure it sounds okay. But um, most of the time it's a kind of a, a loner's job, right? Um, a TV situation is, it's more structured because you got to leave. Right. You got to go to a place, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then you're, you're kind of, you're not writing with other people, but you are breaking ideas and sharing ideas with other people. And it's a little like, you know, you've been training in your martial art on your own for a long time. Maybe you had a sensei here, you know, um, like a, like a seafood there or something. Right. And then you go to like a temple where everyone has like their own style. Right. So you can sort of see how everyone else fights. Right. So like right. a, a store problem comes and you know how you would tackle it, but then like a, a, a there's a writer Luke Calto who is just an awesome dude, awesome awesome dude, and he's a um, one of the smartest guys I know. He worked on Daredevil with Mark and all of that, and just like watch a guy like that, how he would approach story. It's like oh, so you so you, you bend your knee and then you throw the the roundhouse kick. Oh, okay, cuz that opens them up on the left side. And so it it really kind of it's like the writer's version of like an MMA gym or something. You know, if that makes any sense. Mm. Because you're you're all there to accomplish the same thing, to work on things together, but you can also get like some tips and some moves from people. So, it was really rewarding for me that way because I had never really seen how anyone else does the job. You know, and like I would you know, I was a kid that grew up reading like Starlog magazine. You know, and and watching like the old Nickelodeon shows, like lights, camera, action, and you know, like I was like the behind the scenes movie guy. You know, you look at like the Aliens special edition mm-hmm. documentary and try to learn from James Cameron when he's yelling at the guy because the guy doesn't have <laughs> gloves to make the face hugger jump, and you're, you know, and he's <laughs> like, why is it why why do you have gloves? Go get your gloves. And you're like, okay, note to self: if you meet James Cameron, wear your gloves. Yeah, right. right. So like. <laughs> You know, like that's what how I was learning. It's like little bits and pieces of film commentary tracks and stuff, right? But when you're like around other writers, it was really invigorating and I dug it. Um, so you know, it was a really, really great experience. And again, it's the credits due to Mark because uh the showrunner dictates I think the culture of the show. And it was an incredibly nurturing environment. Um uh he is just a, a great like kind of leader. You know, kind of brought the best out of everybody, so it was cool. It was like hanging out with friends every day. Mm-hmm. So when you started on this writers' room for Ash for Ash versus the Evil Dead, uh, did you know that season? Did you guys know that season three was going to be the final season, or did you guys find that out like halfway through, and then have to like completely well, yeah, change your whole strategy? That's a very good question. Um, you know, I mean, I think we sort of had an inkling it might be, mm-hmm. um, but we we never really dwelled on it. Right. Like, you know, because to keep your sanity in this business, I think you need to be sort of meta aware of the corporate aspects of Hollywood, but don't invite it into your house every day. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so 
at some point you're like, ah, you know, maybe stars picks us up. Maybe they, you know, for another one, maybe they don't, maybe Sam wants to do another one. Maybe he doesn't. He's going to put that out of your mind. You just kind of get to work. Right. But, um, uh, I think we sort of felt like this may be the last one. At least the possibility that it could have been the last one was certainly around, um, when we were breaking stories. So if anything, it affects you in terms of, well, we probably don't want to like save the beat for later. Mm-hmm. You might want to go ahead and do it, you know. So all the things that like the what is and what if this happened and what if this happened and what if somebody's in a mascot suit and other thing happened. So you know, you you want to like kind of use all the parts of the buffalo because you know you might not get another bite. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Point. Oh, that's a that's a good analogy. Mm-hmm. I always wondered about um, like dialogue when you're in a writer's room, like. I can see how the story develops with a bunch of people, but who like sits down and writes like the dialogue, like what people say, like that. That must be harder, I think. Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, we all kind of do it, right? So, like, uh, and, and this is like super broad, but uh, it starts off with just people pitching ideas for what the episode should be about, like the kind of the what if, right? And that it, it's. Not dissimilar from being uh, substance assisted with your friends, mm-hmm. kind of arguing over what Star Wars movie you would do if you could do one, oh. right? <laughs> you know, and when I'm saying substance assisted, I'm talking about like coffee and and, and orange juice. Like everyone, oh, yeah. take your yeah. minds out of the bad place. <laughs> I'm saying caffeine and sugar. <laughs> um, so. So, yeah, so it, it's a lot like that. Like, oh, what if we do this? What if we do that? What if we do? And then, you know, the showrunner has an idea of where they want to go, right? So for me, I love environments where um, you have a leader who knows they want to get to a place, but is open to multiple pathways mm. uh, of getting there. So you're never worried about where the ship is going. You know, the captain knows where the ship is going. Mm-hmm. You're just like, oh, what if we do this? What if we do that? What if we do that? And you're free to create. And then things start to stick, yeah. you know, and it'll be the energy sense. in the room. Like, if someone says something like, you know, 60% of the writers like kind of perk up, oh, that might be something to really kind of table and keep and work on. So, so then you start thinking about overall shape of plot. Um, from there, people pitch scenes. Those scenes get broken down into either index cards or, you know, kind of lines on the whiteboard, you know, depending on how someone likes to work. Um, and then when all of those scenes are, are like boarded and written well, then uh, episodes get assigned to different writers. Or sometimes episodes will be assigned by number. You don't know what your story is, but you know you're writing the fifth one. I think I wrote the co-wrote the sixth one with Nikki Kaluga, who's also an amazing writer. She's fantastic. Um, so yeah, so then once the, the story points are kind of all worked on collectively, and you know what the story is, then the episode kind of goes over to the writers and either it's one writer or two writers working alone. I mean, two of us working together, uh, writing the script, um, you know, and, and for that one, I did not go to New Zealand for production for Titans. I've gone to Toronto for production, uh, for every episode I've written, except for COVID year where I was, um, uh, producing my episode remotely, hmm. uh, uh, you know, kind of watching shooting going on. You know, and, and when you're on set, you're a little more intensive, a lot more intensive, really, because being on set is you're, you're sort of wholly focused on the producing of your episode at the time because you're, you're you know, you're off site. Right. So when I go to Toronto for an episode of Titans, I'm not really doing anything else. I am right. beholden to the show completely. 
So, you know, you wake up thinking about the show, you go to set thinking about the show, you end up having dinner with an actor after the show, the actor wants to talk to you about their character, right? So that's when it gets a little more intensive. Um, but in general, yeah, it's uh, an episode assigned to either a writer or a pair of writers in the room, and then they go write the script. Okay. Okay. What What was it like working in a writer's room for Ash vs. Evil Dead and then transitioning slowly and eventually into Titans? Like, did you take anything with you that you learned from your first time experience of doing Ash vs. Evil Dead that really you found helped you when you got to the writer's room of yeah. Titans? Yeah. Um, I learned in my first, uh, as for Evil Dead, I learned to, to shut up. <laughs> okay. Right. Like, cause I was so excited and, you know, a new kid, a new kid coming to high school with his backpack and he wants to find out who's going to be like, who's going to hang out with him at lunch and whatever, man. And I got my Game Boy. Like I was that dude. Right. <laughs> um, and I think I was just like Dr. Tryhard the first week, you know, and, and, and like, my mental uh, uh, Corporal Hicks showed up and was like, ease down, Brian, you're just grinding metal, you know? <laughs> and I was like, okay, um, you know, I'll chill. So when I came into Titans, I spent like the first week just kind of stroking my chin and saying one thing every day. <laughs> right. You know, try, try to say that smart thing, yeah. you know, that one thing. Or, you know, I wasn't I'm, I wasn't the best uh, English lit student growing up, but I do remember one line from Homer's. The I think it was the it was the Iliad. It wasn't the Odyssey. It was the Iliad, and the line was something like, you know, Odysseus does not speak often, but when he does, his voice falls as winter snow. Right. Mm. So for like Titans, I was like, I'm just gonna sit here. <laughs> what if we make it a psychological drama? <laughs> You know what I mean? So yeah. it was a lot of that. Well, I can see that being extremely intimidating. I mean, you mentioned that Ash vs. Evil Dead was your first your first TV show to work on. So I can see you coming in there and having, especially being in season three, you're coming in an already established series. Your first TV spot, you're probably coming in eager and ready to go and, and you know, prove that you you deserve to be there. And uh, so I can see, you You know, that, that makes sense coming in and being... Mm-hmm. Well, I had the benefit of that, but, uh... having no idea of what the process really was, right? Like, it's, <laughs> you know, it, it would be like if you were playing coffee shops, right? Like, you got a guitar, you're playing your coffee shops, whatever, and you get a call, uh, Bruno Mars was in the coffee shop the other day. He liked that song that you did, you know, about the girl that you left at the train station that she found you at the airport. He liked that one. So he wants you to come over to the record, the, the, the label, the studio, and like, you know, maybe you just lay down a little bit of it, whatever. And so you go over there and you're hanging out with Bruno and he's a cool dude and he orders some sushi and, you know, and it's all nice, a little Hollywood, a little music money around you, you sing your little song and you go home. Then like two weeks later, the song comes out and then you realize you just worked on a Bruno Mars album, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then like you get the the latent nervousness shows up because you really didn't have a sense of what it was when you were doing it. That's exactly mm-hmm. what evil dead was for me. You know, I mean, I was a, like just a, a geek kid who liked, you know, horror movies and, and, you know, just remember renting, you know, evil dead two and VHS and, and wearing it out and trying to like borrow my friend's VCR. So I could try to tape that joint on the other <laughs> thing. And, like, had the long six hour long play. Right. So you had to get like Evil Dead 1 and Evil Dead 2 and then you try to squeeze some other, you know, um, <laughs> and that was just the thing. So I was like that dude. Right. Uh, and when they came out, 
And then suddenly, you know, you realize like, oh, millions of people are watching this. Like people, yeah. people still just chime in and talk to me solely about Evil Dead. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've got people that are huge fans of the show that actually like remember details about my episode, but I don't. Um, <laughs> and they're like, what, what were you thinking when you did that? And you're just kind of like, what were you thinking when I did that? Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's what it is. Well, that's what I was think. thinking too. <laughs> yeah. You know? Exactly. Um, and so like, I didn't know. So when I came into Titans, I was a little more aware of, you know, what, what you're doing culturally. Right. So the stakes felt a little higher. Um, still, it wasn't a, a really stressful situation, uh, but you're, you're a little more aware. And I think one of the things you have to balance as you do a career is you will lose that part of yourself that is, um, you know, blissfully ignorant of what you're doing. And then you'll start to question yourself more because you know it's going to do this. And then the website is going to carry that. They're going to talk about that. Then they're going to tweet about this. And then they're going to do the other thing. And then you start to kind of, you know, question every choice you're making. And it's a really um, important thing, I think, to try to, you know, keep that sense of, I don't know. Like, I'm, you know, like, it's not like the experience you have in the business dictate what you're doing creatively. And that's sort of why, you know, you see like a Nintendo uh, game stick over there. And, you know, and I've got like my, you know, Sega Genesis mini at my, at my desk because I need to get back to like that 13 year old, the big pillow watching that movie on the CRT, you know, thing. And, and I, you know, I rented it. And I watched it and then I got to watch it again because I got to take it back. And then you call your friend over because we got to, you know, we got to, like, you don't want to lose that energy, you know? And so, um, yeah, that, that was the thing is, is coming into Titans, I had a better sense of how the process goes, uh, which was both a benefit and sort of a hazard, Mm -hmm. um, depending on how I let it kind of move me. So, so being that you've worked on Evil Dead and Titans and, uh, and, uh, Power Rangers, so you're working on a Power Rangers yeah. Thing. So these, I almost like iconic level characters, really loved, followed characters. Did you find yourself getting, you know, feeling any sort of? Are you, you know, and you've written Batman, so I mean, you know, how how does that feel coming in and working on an IP that is so loved? Is there? Did you feel pressure by that? Did, how does it feel like? Living, you feel like you have to live like watching Evil Dead Two growing up. Evil Dead Two, I mean, Evil Dead Two is the best. Sure. It's the best one. And so, coming in on even on that or on anything, did you feel any kind of uh, pressure to live up to, you know, this this thing that people love so much? Well, you know, I mean, uh, you always you you always think about at least I do. I think about what's the essential aspect of the thing that I'm working on, right? Like. Um, to make sure that I, I can preserve it. Like I'm not just creatively, I'm not a person that comes in and takes a sledgehammer to whatever he's doing. Um, you know, at least not on my own. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, if I get asked to do so, you know, like I get hired to write a screenplay and they want to take a sledgehammer to something that's the gig, you know, I'm also the Mandalorian. I'll take the credits. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, it kind of is what it is, but on my own, um, uh, I, I prefer to, to carry the tradition of the Beskar steel as it were, right? Like, you know, so I, it's not that I feel a debt to the fan base necessarily because I am the fan base. Right. Normally. Right. Oh, yeah. 
know, if if I'm not interested in something, I'm not going to work on it. You know, right. and I've turned things down recently because I, I'm like, I know this is really popular. I never really vibed with it. Yeah. I don't know why it's popular. I'm not the guy. Right. You know, maybe she's better or he's better because uh, I don't like to impose like my stuff on top of the thing. I, I hopefully connect with what I think is essential about the thing. And then I can tell the story that feels original and unique to me. Right. But that's just my perspective. Cause I can always go make up my own thing, yeah. you know? So like, it's, it, if I, if I want to, you know, turn everything upside down, rip it apart, throw it up in the air, light it on fire. Well, I'll do that with like a original thing yeah. where, you know, I know I'm not stepping on anybody's, you know, collectible shelf while I'm doing it. Right. If I'm working on something that I know people really love that matters to them because stories really matter to me growing up, I think I'm um, maybe more cognizant of balancing the need for the new with the the need of like kind of respecting the the foundation of it than some creators may be because, you know, I mean, uh, frankly, I live a pretty comfortable life now. But I didn't always, right? There was a time in my life where fiction was really important to me. You know, like I, I, I would have a bad week at school, but I would go rent a couple movies at Blockbuster and that would, that would turn it around. Or I, like I had a beloved movie I would watch, you know, to get in a better mood. Oh, today sucked because she doesn't like me and I thought she did. And boo-hoo, I watch Return of the Jedi, right? Um <laughs> Which probably wasn't the best way to get her to actually like me the next day, but yeah, strategies are weird when you're a kid, right? You're like, you're gonna like me now because I watched Return of the Jedi. Oh, should have watched Empire. That would have gotten made her it worse. <laughs> Empire, right? You know. Um, so, like, when you when you have that relationship to the stuff, you know, like yeah. if if you had a you know if you had a rough day and you went home and you beat ghouls and ghosts again because it made you feel good because you could do it without losing the silver armor, you know, Jeez. like <laughs> you're champion. When you, when you have <laughs> those things, I know that other people have them too. You know, like the guy who delivers my, uh, my Amazon packages, maybe has a rough day, wants to go watch a show, likes Nightwing, wants to go see Nightwing, right? The, you know, the person that, you know, you bump into at a target when you're getting underwear and a loaf of bread or whatever it is, you know, like maybe, you know, Ash meant a lot to them growing up, right? So I do think about that kind of thing a lot. So it's not that I feel like a pressure in a negative sense. It's just, you know, I think my my personal rudder is, is always kind of set to, let's not just do what they did before, but let's not just like throw it all away either, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, um, I know my personal thing when I'm ever having a bad day, like I know... If I'm ever having like a day where I have a headache and I just can't get get it to go away, Lord of the Rings is going on for me. Like <laughs> totally, but, yeah. I mean, movies are like you know they're they're really important. Um, I think to to a lot of how you know we build those those kind of formative aspects of ourselves. And you know, being frank, movies don't make a billion dollars because people see them once. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, that's true. right. Mm-hmm. Your, your movie makes a lot of money because people see it again and again. You know, and then they rent it streaming or buy it physical, you know, and and talk about it and share it. And so if that's the coin of the realm, 
if the goal of populist entertainment is to create these experiences, then I think we have to at least be a little cognizant of the people we're creating them for. Mm-hmm. Speaking of movies, what, if anything, can you tell us about the Power Ranger project? Are you at liberty to discuss any of that? Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Okay, just <laughs> all right. curious. All, all right. right, all right. All right, cool. Nothing at all. I, I can say that Jonathan Entwistle is a is a very he's a he's a director. Okay. Uh, kind of putting it on together. He's a very very smart and talented guy. Um, and that's all I can say. Okay, that's fair. Right, that's fair. fair. Okay. So, have you been buying all your old Power Rangers toys from like when you were like a kid? And uh, you know, pulling, pulling them. Up? I don't actually have a lot of toys. I I space is kind of a premium. Right. Yeah. So, like, if you look behind me, you can see, like, I I try not to have furniture that's above my waist. I try to have like, <laughs> a lot of space around me. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have like a lot of toys. Um. So no, no. But you know, like, you kind of dig into the, uh, you know, like the kind of the old geek archives and and uh, you know, just kind of get back to the happy place. You know, music does it a lot for me, like that kind of thing. You know, but any toys I have are like legit holy grails from when i was a kid like optimus prime you know oh, luke skywalker nice. in jedi knight outfit you know mm. like like those joints i got like mm. a box that has like the like it's like the pulp fiction box of toys you open it up <laughs> and it gives you like a tan with the glow yeah. so i have that but um yeah i don't i don't really go back there too much because it just takes up too much space yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that's fair that's fair i have some ninja turtles uh, from my from my childhood, my my holy grail's probably I have Woody and Buzz from the first Toy Story, <clears throat> and they were like the the like lookalikes, oh, the movie oh, replicas yeah, 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 from, yeah, like, from like nineteen ninety five. Yeah, one up there. Yeah, yeah. The Woody oh, yeah, that's Woody and Buzz yeah, up, up there. there. Yeah, uh-huh. and uh, both up there. But those are from like when I was like four or five years. Yeah. Old. Yeah, my mom made me get rid of all my toys. <laughs> no, oh, I'm bitch. I, I, just, I just. <laughs> I just grew out of them. I mean, I remember having like all the small soldiers toys. I remember small soldiers being the first movie sure. I ever small saw in a theater. Mm-hmm. Theaters and um. So now that you've done um, Evil Dead, you've done some some DC. You've, you're doing Power Rangers. Are there any IPs that you haven't done yet that you is like your dream IP that you'd like to work with? Is something. You oh, that's a good with? question. You know, if, funnily enough, I don't really think that way. Like, hmm. it's I. I, you know, opportunities, and I'm grateful for it, knock on wood, opportunities come my way of uh, things that, you know, I grew up and enjoyed and, and might have a, a fresh perspective on. Um, but I think it's a dangerous thing to carry that because it's so hard to, you know, to, to control any of that, you know. Um, uh, and I try not to put too much energy into things I can't really control, okay. right? You know, so... You know, like, it, it, I think we all probably have a Star Wars story somewhere inside of us. You know, I mean, I probably have a couple James Bond stories mm-hmm. um, somewhere, you know, uh, in the brain. Well, I know I do because I, for practice, I wrote a James Bond movie to see if I could do it just for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, so that's sitting on a hard drive. Uh, what did I call it? I think it was called uh, uh, Death Do Us Part was the name of the oh, James Bond movie. Sounds good. Who's your, who's your um, favorite I mean, James Bond? It uh, sounds like a Bond movie. My favorite, my, my favorite James Bond movie or my favorite James Bond? Your favorite James Bond. Ooh, I do like Daniel. I do. Mm. Um, I, uh, it depends on my mood, honestly. I mean, I when I when if I read the novels, I see Timothy Dalton. 
Oh, okay. Just like, like visually, Bond looks like Timothy Dalton to me. Just hmm. like kind of like a serious, like handsome British dude who's not pretty, who's kind of mean and dangerous with dark hair. Like, so I think my mental image of Bond is likely Dalton. Um, I, I like Living Daylights and License to Kill. Like, a, I like him in those movies. And I'm not super in love with the movies, but I think he's good. Uh, I think Dalton was before his time a little bit. I think we had to go through Brosnan to, to, to appreciate what Daniel does. But Daniel's doing a lot of what Timothy was trying to do back in the 90s. You know, and so it's uh, so it's so it's weird. And I and I met uh, uh, Pierce um, years ago. I um, almost had a movie go with him in it, and it was really cool because I got to because he was over in Malibu, uh, super Hollywood story, right? So he he was he was over there. I'd never been to Malibu before, and I you know I'm not like are black people even in Malibu? Do I need like, a special card or something? Like I don't know what's going on. So. I'm going there with my manager. I'm going to this, this country club in Malibu. Um, I feel like Axel Foley or something when it's this all happening. So I go there and like, Oh yeah, you just go to this table. You sit at this table in the back. And uh, I go to the back and Pierce is there and he's sitting next to uh, VJ Singh, the tennis player from Octopus. Right. Yeah. And it was like, okay, one, I have to, I, ha- I have to get my, you're talking to Pierce Brosnan thing together yeah yeah two i'm also in a weird alt universe octopusy right now which <laughs> my brain can't really handle <laughs> you know it was just a lot um i guess they're good friends they like played tennis together or something um he's a super nice guy uh pierce and i, and I like his movies too so like it they're all they're all solid um but yeah i think if i pick up a book and i read it i think of timothy Dalton. Hmm, okay, I, I didn't mean to distract you. I just wanted to. I just wanted to get your quick input on. Lee no, for sure. Bond. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm always happy to talk James Bond, but yeah, you know. So yeah, I like Bond, Star Wars, well, like that kind of stuff is cool. Like, I grew up loving Batman, but there's so much Batman, <laughs> and I've worked. I've worked on Titans, you know, and yeah. I've written Batman comics, and um, I'm really excited to see what Matt does uh, with Batman. Yes, but at this point. I don't know if I have anything like like Brian. Right? What's your Batman movie? I don't know. It's a combination of what Nolan did and likely what Matt's doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? like, yeah. Dark Knight like really satisfied me in many many ways. <laughs> yeah, like, kind of I put mean. the Batman thing to bed. I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm good with that. Yeah, <laughs> they, they did that right. Man, yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, I'm real. I'm really excited for Reeves's Batman. Um, so let's, let's, let's transition a little bit. We've talked about your TV career and, uh, talked to, uh, let's talk more. I want to talk about your comic stuff. Like what, what did, sure. what did you take away from, um, obviously you were writing comics and stuff before you were doing TV. Uh, what did you bring from writing comics into TV or in like, what have you learned since writing TV and movies and stuff like that, that you've brought into your comics writing? Hmm. Well, you know, um, when you write a comic book, you have to think visually, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's, I, I think that a, a comic book, especially a, a superhero comic, uh, you should be able to get 90% of it. If there's no words. Yeah. I think you need to be able to flip through it 
and and get it right even if the story like there's nuance obviously in dialogue and all of that but if you got the right artist who's really telling the story you know from the script and and investing those characters with humanity and all that you don't even need the dialogue to get some of the nuance of what's going on you just sort of flip through and get it so you got to think visually and i think um that's the thing that uh, i carry into my tv writing and my screenwriting is i i do think in images you know, and so whenever I'm like, like I was, I did like 30 pages today uh, um, that I've got to send off to someone, and you know, you keep, you know, you write, you go through, it and you're like, okay, but are these images there? You know, it, uh, can I tell the story visually? Can can this do the job of like this line of dialogue or this page of dialogue, what have you? So, I think that is probably the biggest crossover uh, is just being able to kind of think in images. Um, uh, and then efficiency too, because you just have less space in the comic book. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, like when I write a screenplay, I feel like I have all of the space in the world. Like people talk about, oh, screenwriting is so hard. You got to come in so late, and you got to leave so early on your scenes. And I'm thinking, man, try a comic book. <laughs> you know, I got 20 pages and five panels per page. I got to tell a story in like a hundred panels, and if I have a splash page, I've just lost five panels right there you know so it's like yeah, yeah. it's hard like outsiders was rough i have i have a gajillion characters that need to get served um i need to have a cool awesome batman and the outsiders big panel stuff going on mm-hmm. uh and having to balance all of that in that economy is really difficult um so i think it's also made me a pretty efficient writer like i can get a lot done in uh a, a group of pages hmm. okay yeah um i'm currently I'm currently working um, with an editor about trying to get something of mine off the ground. I'm working on trying to do a graphic novel, and I'm, you, you are right. It is a lot of visual stuff and sitting down thinking, and I feel myself sitting down writing it when I'm writing my thing. I, sit, I, I feel myself like, does this work? How can how can I get how can I get somebody else to make sure that this works? And you know, like my wife my wife's not a big comic reader. She doesn't read comics and stuff like that, so I can't bounce off things from her. And then I have my friends, and then it's like, oh well, your friends are always going to tell you your stuff's good, but I think it sucks. No, oh, well, thanks, right, Alex. Right. <laughs> but so how yeah how, how have you Go managed ahead. how have you managed to like be able to figure out like if something is actually working when you're writing it down versus like. Ah, uh, this this doesn't work. You know, I mean, it's it's. I've been doing this for a while, so now it's just kind of like an annoying answer. Like, you know, it's just kind of a gut thing. You just kind of know. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not particularly helpful. Um, but what <laughs> I, I I I outline first, so I do uh, just kind of a step outline. Um, just looking at the beats in order to make sure that the beats tend to flow. Make sure that I'm not doubling and beat up, making sure every scene has a certain purpose, that every scene is moving story forward in some way, like that kind of thing. So a lot of the arithmetic of writing I do in the outline phase. Mm. Um, So when I'm getting to the actual scene writing, I know that the structure at least works enough. Not that, you know, the first draft will be perfect. It never is. First drafts are always the worst draft you have, usually. Um, But uh, I'm not so experimental that you know, I'll have 15 pages that I realize don't need to be in the movie. Like normally that stuff is taken care of or, you know, like a scene doesn't need to be in the comic book. That stuff's taken care of in my outline usually. Um, And so there's just a matter of writing it and then taking a break 
coming back to it and just kind of combing through and getting rid of your crazy ideas, you know, like right. sometimes you'll just see something in there and I'm like, why did I write that? I have no idea what I was trying to do with that. And so you just cross that out. So there's a lot of that, you know, mm, but okay. um, I'm a strong believer in outlining first. So when you write, you can just fly. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I've, um, I, I do all my outlining as well. Um, are you, are you super detailed when you go into your outlining or are you like slightly vague? Uh, I mean, I, I write what, I feel is important to capture, right? So it's it, it's almost like a left brain, right brain experience. Like outlining for me is like putting together together like a, a model airplane in a way. You know, like I'm sort of, it, 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 I can put a movie on while I outline. You know, and I often do. Oh, okay. Um, and I'll just be like watching like, you know, Akira or something and just kind of like, okay, then this can happen. Oh, this would be cool. And then, you know, um, and it, it, it makes it kind of less arduous uh, to do that way. And then once the model plane is built, writing is like flying it, you know, mm. then, then I take it to like, you know, a, a rooftop and throw it over and then like kind of see how it goes or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so uh, because I separate those experiences uh, in my process, it kind of keeps the energy high. Um you know, it's like, it's different to like outlining is like training for the fight. Writing is like fighting. Okay. Okay. I really, I really like that. That's a, it's a good way to look at it. I so think. that's really funny. Cause like I've done, uh, in, in my career and educational career and background and things, I've done a lot of like, uh, research and, um, historical and political writing and, and research projects and research writing and, and papers and all kinds of stuff. And writing is almost the opposite where like, for that where like all your work mm-hmm. is in the outline you know what i mean yep. like once i once like if i'm if i was writing like an article for you know a magazine or for a journal or something it's all the work's in the outline and then once that outline is done then it's just all right well now i just gotta now i just gotta write it like yeah, you know what i mean yep <laughs> so it's kind of funny how that's like yep, kind for of sure yeah let's do things one of my first jobs when I came out of film school was I used to write um, instruction manuals for handheld devices like Palm Pilots, uh, like back when people had Palm Pilots. And yeah. so that and it was just technical writing. Right. Um, and I think I carry some of that experience over into the outline um, where I can get a little pedantic uh, and I can, you know, and sometimes I'll just see a lot of detail, right? Like if an image comes to me, I'll put it in the outline. Cool. Mm. Um, line of dialogue comes, I put it in the outline, right? But I don't force myself to have to, like, if, if I don't have all of that and I just have, here's a location, you know, so-and-so says he's going to rob the bank. So-and-so says he's going to stop him from robbing the bank. Good luck. I move on to the next scene. You know, I don't, mm. I don't, you know, I, I just kind of let it, let it go where it goes. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. That's there's a lot to there's a lot to take away with that. I am. Um, what do what do you like to do in your free time or like when you've got something like when you're stuck on something? How do you how do you get unstuck? Like you you said you take a break and come back to it. What's that? What's mm-hmm. that break consist of for you? Does, um, does it depend well, on the project? Know, uh, I weightlifting is really useful for me. Okay. Um, like if I have a story issue, like a problem, oh, I don't know what the scene's going to be. I was just writing the scene today. I had a, I have to turn in some pages to a director uh, today and I had a scene, an opening scene, and I knew what had to happen in the scene, right? Like it's, 
the right, I knew I was right about where this scene goes. I knew I was right about the overall general idea of what happens, mm-hmm. but the actual method, it just, I don't know. I just wasn't hearing the click, you know, it just didn't feel like, like hot right. uh, to me. And I couldn't, I couldn't really figure it out. So when situations happen like that, I usually just stop um, working on that part. I'll work forward. And then when I'm, you know, I'm on the treadmill or I'm lifting weights or something, I'll just kind of think about it, but not like think about it in a, I'm solving the problem way. Like the Zach Galifianakis gift that goes on Twitter. Like it won't <laughs> be like that. It'll be more like you sort of put it in your mind, you know, and just kind of let it be there. And you sort of get into that flow state. And, and then like between like the, the, you know, the moving the dumbbells up and down, whatever it is, like it just starts to unlock video games are also good for me that way. Not like a game that I'm going to like really focus on. It's like super narrative heavy, like control or something like that. Like that's not going to be great because I'm just going to zone into that. But um, classic games are fantastic. Ones I've beaten before. um, Cause that to me is just another gateway into the flow state. So I still play ghouls and ghosts. That's why I brought it up because that's like my gateway, right? Cause I've, I've played that game so much that once I fire it up, uh, and I hear that music, it's almost like the hands are just kind of moving. And then you kind of get to that meditative state. So that helps. Um, long walks with music that I think is applicable helps, um, you know, just like whatever. Right. But I'm a, I'm a, I'm a strong believer in don't bang your head against the wall. Hmm. You know, like if you're, if you're writing a screenplay or a graphic novel script, comic book script, short story, whatever it is, and you have a, you have B, you don't like your C or your D, but you like your E and your F, just skip C and D and just leave them as like one lines in your script. Come back and do them later. You know, like don't, don't lose your momentum, you know, because you have to write the next scene in your outline because it's the next scene in your outline. Um, That just like takes a process and makes it way longer. Usually if I just say, oh, well, I'll come back to it. By the time I get done putting 10, 15 more pages in, oh, that's what I got to do. And I just go back and I do it. Um, same thing with like action sequences, uh, not, not so much in comics because it's hard to kind of do a comic book this way because it's a bit like Tetris trying to like make all of it works. You kind of have to write it all out, but like in, um, in a screenplay or a teleplay, I'll never write the action, the first draft. Um, I always put like maybe two or three sentences of what happens, where the character begins in the action scene and where the character ends in the action scene in terms of their arc. Um, so I know that the character's changing across the action sequence, which has to happen. Otherwise, it's not storytelling. It's just, you know, kineticism. Mm-hmm. Um, but I won't write them. And I'll just do the dialogue scenes. Mm-hmm. Then when the dialogue scenes are done, I'll go back and just do the action. and won't even touch my dialogue, right? Um, because it's just, those are almost like different parts of my imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you're just doing dialogue, Hell, I can write like 60 pages of dialogue in a day right. because I don't have to stop and then choreograph the chase scene. Right. Right. I can just do the scene and then this scene happens and then this scene happens and then the characters are, are alive and they're talking to you and you're just writing down what they're saying and yeah. it just kind of all goes through. Then when, when I have like maybe 65, 70 pages of dialogue, then I'll go back and look at my placeholder, like, you know, small paragraphs, and then I'll write the action sequences. You know, um, and put myself in the technical, like, what if he grabs the cheese grater and he hits him with the cheese grater? You know, like, like I don't want to spend three hours of my writing day 
stuck because I didn't think of the cheese grater in time. Yeah. <laughs> Are you specifically bringing up the cheese grater because you just recently saw Tenant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's the, the <laughs> oh, I, I remember that scene. I, yeah. yeah. I assumed that this was a completely different take on Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah, like, I'm, I'm the idiot that walks out of Tenet being like, cheese grater. Yeah. That's what I'm focused on. <laughs> Meanwhile, everybody else is like, I don't know what the hell that movie was about. <laughs> yeah, everyone else is like arguing theoretical physics. I'm just like, he used a cheese grater. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was literally my feeling about Tenet, right? Like, because yeah. I watched it like on DVD and I didn't get to go to a theater because I didn't want to die. Sorry, Christopher, <laughs> so I waited. And uh, uh, I don't want, want to watch it on DVD. And I remember, like my my when I came out of that movie, I moved over. I was like, I was totally cheap. It was cool, and I was totally satisfied. And then I watched the dialogue around it, and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, people seem to be okay. I guess I should watch it again and think about all of this time travel stuff too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just picturing you just leaving and like going to the store and like being like, just the only thing's gonna. Stop a bad guy with a cheese grater is a good guy with one. I gotta go get me. A, I gotta go get me a cheese grater now. <laughs> oh, totally. Well, sometimes I'll do that. Like you know, it, I'm not. A, I'm not a huge fan of. Well, I have to make sure I find a gimmick in the action sequence that no one's ever done, because um, everyone's done everything. But sometimes you like look around and think about. Okay, you know, is there anything in my office that you know could be a cool weapon if used properly or for like a chase scene i'll just start some 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 shit in grand theft auto oh and see what happens and get an idea you know like i'm just gonna start a chase and and see if anything cool happens or if it gives me some ideas on things to do and usually it does so like open world games are great for that um it's hard when you're sitting at your desk to think about vehicles you know, fighting each other with like guns. It's just really far away Mm -hmm. from the experience. of just kind of looking at your screen. Right. So, um, firing up GTA and just kind of messing around in there. Um, uh, it's really helpful or like, you know, like a platform, uh, platinum games, uh, beat them up or something just to catch like the rhythm of, of like punches and kicks and, you know, and how, so so, yeah. So I'll, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll look at that kind of stuff too. Well, you brought up games. Tell us, tell us about the, the Nintendo, the the cabinet thing you're 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 building. Oh well, I you know I, I got a bunch of like classic game things I'm doing. So my original plan was I was going to take that stick, my Switch. Um, I was going to get an ultra wide monitor and then do kind of like a DIY arcade rake with a bunch of classic games, kind of running off my Switch and the monitor with that stick. So that was going to be the original plan. I was going to mount monitor on the wall and kind of have like a minimal arcade setup. Mm-hmm. Then I uh, looked at, oh, this company, uh, for Alt Games, they have this legacy ultimate whatever, and it's like a full-size arcade cabinet. You know, like the one-up cabinets are like yeah. three quarters and they're kind of weird. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because they're kind of like, you yeah, know, awkwardly like small. Smash puny cabinet. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, they're just not, they're just weird, right? Um, but the, this this one is a uh, full size cabinet that comes preloaded with games, and then you can put your ROMs in there or whatever. So uh, then my 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 build changed from what I was going to do with this thing. Now I'm going to do like a desk setup where I've got my Sega Genesis Mini. I'm I'm getting my um oh the the Mini the the, the Mega HD or whatever the 
the kind of the new emulator console that actually plays the carts. And oh, all that. Uh, oh, I know what so, you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like it's not it, it's it, not Apogee. I forget the company. It takes that, like all of them, that, right? It can it can take like almost yeah. any single game cartridge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like those are going to go here, and then I'll rig the joystick and probably put like a little drawer here at my desk, and then put my switch here. So I'll just do the switch stuff at the desk, and then I'll have the arcade cabinet back over there somewhere. Oh, okay. Nice. So talking about games, what are you currently playing? Oh. I mean, it's been a drought, right? Like, yeah, there has been a drought. You know, I, too, yeah. I had to hunt down a PS5, found one, and I was wound up like replaying Demon Souls. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it was a it was a little anticlimactic, right? Um, so there's not a lot of next gen stuff to really mess with. I had a really great time playing Cyberpunk. Me too. Uh, Thank you. It, now you did it you play it? Like you know, I immediately I have my rig's kind of beefy. Yeah. You know, I, I got a got the 2080, you know, TI, and I got the i9. Oh, okay. Um, so it's a it's a kind of a, a beefy rig over here, but um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. You know, I played, I you know, beat it once, and then I fired up a new character, went Corpo for the second run, and then played through a little bit. I'm I'm pulling back on it because they're going to release some kind of DLC, and I don't want to be burned out on it. So what, what I'll probably do is. Um, hold back from my my second build, wait for more DLC to hit, and then I'll just play that integrated there because I don't think I ever want to touch my first character again because I played like 120 hours with that character. I think I'm done with, with that one. Um, that was dope. Um, there's a um, a kind of pixel platformer called Blasphemous that's like really cool uh, that I dug. It's like kind of a Castlevania. I know like everything is a Metroidvania, but um, it's got a really kind of sick and twisted gothic baroque you know hmm. heavy metal aesthetic that i really dig um what is that on and let's see what's that what, what is that game that blasphemous game on oh blasphemous i think it's you know it's one of those things it's on like it's on xbox it's on oh. I, I know it's on xbox and switch okay sony has a weird indie game thing where they don't really care about yeah. indie games you, yeah. you really can't guarantee it's going to be there it's probably on on the sony store but i know it's on the xbox store i know it's on steam I know yeah. it's on the Switch. Um, and then recently, uh, I was playing some Streets of Rage last night. So, no, oh, nice, nice, nice. Yeah, I played. Yeah, I played Cyberpunk on PS5. And uh, oh, okay, so and you had had a fine time with it. Um, so so I got lucky um, and and pre-ordered a PS5 and was was one of the six, oh, okay. 16 people in like the whole country that got to pre-order <laughs> one. Um, I I happened to be a quarter mile from my local GameStop when they went live for pre-order it was just sheer coincidence um but so yeah i i I got cyberpunk and played that for i mean i played that for a while and now the the new the newest patch had just come out like a week or two ago their 1.2 patch for ps for for playstation and i i mean it's it crashed some on me i bet i bet in the you know i put a good 80 hours into it and i did kind of the same thing that you were talking about where i was like okay i gotta take a break and you know because i don't want to get burned out because i know this is going to be that game that I end up coming back to and just exploring sure. the world so much. Um, and it, I bet it crashed on me between the, in the 80 hours or so I played it. I bet it maybe 10 times it had. Well, yeah, yeah. Crashed, it's, look, but, it's obviously not the most stable game in the world. Um, but I don't think I ever bought into the hype because yeah. it's just technically impossible to make the game. Everyone thought they were making, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. You know, it's just like there's no game that's that was able to do fifty percent 
of what people thought cyberpunk was going to be able to do. So I really expected this is going to be like a Witcher 3 like experience in a cyberpunk world. Yeah. And that was kind of all I thought I was going to get out of it. So I got precisely the experience I thought I was going to get, you know? Um, But when I, when I hear what people are disappointed in, I'm like, Oh, I never thought any of that was going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. No, I thought like these features are gone. I'm like, Right. I thought the same thing. And and even still, even with all the problems that it had, I found myself just playing that game and being like in downtown and looking around and they're just being skyscrapers all over the place. And the fact that there are no load screens when you walk when you're walking into buildings and all of this stuff is like it. It's still uh, an incredible achievement, I think, even with its. It's super impressive. I think, you know, it obviously CD Projekt Red made some uh, corpo decisions that did not help their cause. Right. Um, But I think it was, it's a victim of kind of overhyped. I think they hyped it a little more than they should have, you know, like they kind of got the hype train started too early. Um, I don't think when, when they knew the reduction of features they were going to have, they should have like dripped that out you know, over the course of it and let people like YouTube about it or whatever, and get mad about it, but then get over it before the game comes out. Yeah. And then I also think like in a COVID landscape, when that game was something that people were looking forward to, right. you know, mm-hmm. like, and a lot of people were, had like, they were going to take off work. You know, people were just really looking forward to it so that, you know, it not working on your console sucks. And, uh, you know, it not having, you know, some of those customization features you want and all of that. Like I can see those disappointments um, being kind of stark. Had that game simply released with the normal hype cycle, like, you know, like a announcement at E3, not too much, a trailer, and then the game comes out like six months later, I think, yeah. you know, people would have had a much better experience with it. But mm-hmm. when, when people have already mythologized The Witcher 3, Forgetting right. that the Richard Three was broke up when it was yes. too. Yes, <laughs> right? yeah, like, it was absolutely broken, was. Right? Yeah, I had and a lot of problems. The Project Red has inventory yeah. issues, right? The inventory was totally broken. On right. Richard III. So, you know, we we tend to look backwards and sort of forget the path. Now the Witcher is playing on everything. The Witcher is like Skyrim. It's like on a Snickers bar now. You can play it, you <laughs> know, on the bottom of it. But when it first hit, it was a mess. So yeah, I, I think time will hopefully. Um, judge it well and 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 you know mike pondsmith the uh tabletop creator um is a pal of mine so you know i was pulling for it there too um i just hope that all of the the wailing and gnashing of teeth won't stop them from continuing to build things into that world because i think it's a really interesting video game world and i would love to see a sequel and see some dlcs and and that kind of thing i'd love to see it on the sony store um, you know, <laughs> so but yeah, like I, yeah, I, that was probably the last, like that in control. I, I played cyberpunk and then the, the other triple a thing that I did was, uh, control the ultimate edition or whatever that was in the mm-hmm. PS five. Um, and I really liked that. I thought that was super cool. Yeah. You, you tweeted out about control and I had already had it like downloaded on like my mm-hmm. PS five and I hadn't been playing anything. And then I was like, all right, let me give this game a try. And I, I started playing it. I'm really, I'm really digging the shit out of this game. I think it's, it's really cool. It's I, real good. Like I, you know, I, I'm always pulling for remedy games. Yes. More than I enjoy them. Right. Like 
I didn't love Alan Wake, but I loved what Alan Wake was trying to do. Right. Right. Um, and same thing with Quantum. Was it Quantum Break? Quantum Break. Uh, yeah, Quantum Break. Yeah. I thought it was like cool that you were trying to do that, but I didn't really enjoy the gameplay experience. But Control to me feels like the best hybrid of what they love to do with their storytelling stuff, um, with their protagonist focused stuff. But also, it just plays really well, right? Yeah. Like, it doesn't have, like, the gooiness of Quantum Break, where everything is, like, over-animated, mm-hmm. you know? Um, which is, like, in Red Dead Redemption, it's fine if it takes you 30 seconds to open a drawer, because the game is kind of slow, yeah. right? You know? And they have a billion lines of voiceovers, where like, well, it's like I'm opening up another drawer. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then and if so you're far you're away, like, the guy's going to have to yell at like... Right. But like when you're playing quantum break and it's just taking forever to get the guy to stop moving, you know, it's like, it's it's kind of the same problem I have with um, Naughty Dog games. Really. It's like, I, I love the idea of them. I, I really appreciate the triple A robust experience that Naughty Dog does. I don't like controlling those characters though. I just Mm. don't like the movement. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like Ellie just takes too long to do things. (laughs) (laughs) it just takes too much animation on everything Hmm. that's interesting um i had no clue that control was basically like a giant metroidvania i definitely thought it was totally i definitely thought it was more so like oh you move into this area and the door shuts behind you and then like oh now we got to move forward and stuff like that i'm i'm really digging it i really like how the story a lot of the narrative is in the documents that you find. It's not in like the actual story cinematic cuts. Yeah, it's, it's all that like, are you familiar with the SCP stuff? No, I'm not. Oh, okay. Okay. So you, you need to know this and your, and your listeners, viewers need to know this. All right. So there's, there, there's been this kind of really interesting um, crowdsourced fiction movement Uh and it's all under the banner of SCP, Secure, Contain, Protect. And I think it's at least 10 years old. Uh, and what it is, is it is a bunch of, like, when I say a bunch, it's like, must be in the thousands of crowdsourced entries for artifacts that have strange powers that are all kept in these different facilities. It's very controlled, right? Mm-hmm. So when I was playing control i was like oh this is all scp stuff sort of you know i mean they're not like ripping anything off but they're clearly influenced by but if you like the vibe of like oh this is this is the back scratcher and then when you use it you you get an angel wing you know (laughs) you know like if you like like the weird kind of things like that then um go to youtube and look up scp foundation and you will get just like channels of people that are narrating these original um, artifacts and mythologies that people come up with. Um, And it's totally crowdsourced. Like no one really owns it. And it's super fascinating. It's one of those things where, you know, I'll just put it on. uh, My wife and I will just just put a YouTube channel on and just watch it for an hour or so, just going through like these different stories people are coming up with. And and so it's a lot of that stuff that's like control. Control is very much influenced by it. So if you get that vibe, look up SDP on YouTube. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, one last thing before we start wrapping everything up. Uh, this is talking about back when you were talking about Titans. I caught that you mentioned that you were producing an, your episode through Zoom, and I just wanted to 
touch on. Yeah. We've we've never had somebody who's actually done any producing work on our show, so I just wanted to talk to you oh. about that real quick. Well, what yeah, so let me break that down. So, now, it's not always the case with television, um, but when uh, um, sometimes when you're on a show, when your episode gets shot, the one that you've written, you go to the location to produce the episode, and that means that you know, you're sort of meeting with every department, you're carrying the will of the showrunner um, into every department, you know, sometimes you're talking to actors, sometimes you're doing on-set rewriting, like that kind of thing. Uh, I did not do it for Evil Dead, um, mainly because they weren't just flying out all of us to, um, I think they shot that in in New Zealand, I want to say, which is a pretty long flight yeah. to be sending, you know, um, all the writers in the room. Now, Toronto is a little closer. So, yeah, so for Titans... That's the uh, that's the nature of the beast. So when my episode comes up, you know, you go to you you go to Canada. You you know, you sit through a read through of the episode. You talk to all the different departments. Um, you get mad at someone for not wearing the gloves because it doesn't look like it's jumping. You know, like that <laughs> kind of thing. And uh, yeah, and that's kind of what what that is. It's 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 an it's an incredibly um, instructional thing. I mean, you can learn so much from producing an episode of TV. And I don't like I'm solely producing it. I'm just one of the many people. Right. There's more like the word that they use. Um, but you learn so much about production from going through those experiences, you know. Uh, and I'm really grateful um, to do that because it's made me a better storyteller. It's made me more pragmatic. Um, you know, it, it, uh, it it's making me a better filmmaker. You know, getting into directing now. And so, yeah. Um, so every show doesn't do it, but. Uh, 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 Titans does do it. Um, you know, cause sometimes a producing credit, like on a, on a movie, like I got a producing credit on a movie I wrote, um, years ago that got shot last January, uh, Guy Pierce is in it. It's called zone four, one, four. Um, I didn't produce that movie, you know, okay. like <laughs> that was like part of the, the contract deal, you know, gotcha. you get the producing credit and whatever, you know, and all that. Um, so sometimes it's just, you know, semantics. But in television, it it really is, you have to go up there and you got to sit on set, you're looking at the script, you're making sure the lines are being, you know, said properly, you're in video village. Um, so it's it's really awesome. Very cool, very cool. Well, nice. Do you guys have any more questions? I'm good. All righty. Well, Brian, we assigned you. Now we're now we're down to the last half of our show where we do the movie 20 questions. Uh, we assigned you a film. Do you do you ha- do you have a movie ready for us to try to guess? Oh, let's see. Um, sure. Okay. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, let's. That's what I love. Yeah. Confidence. Confidence. There we go. <laughs> um, I'll I'll start us off. Okay. Did this movie come out after January first, nineteen eighty? No. No. Ooh, no. All right. Okay. That's all right. So before. Before 1980. Uh, same question, 1970, after 1970. Yes. Okay. So All right. So it's a 70s film. All right. Um, hmm. You want to go half, half a decade or no? I don't want to do that no, yet. You want to do that I want to genre? I want to go genre. Okay. Genre. Genre. Um, do you horror? Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking horror. Is this a horror film? Yes. Okay. Oh, All right, so. yeah. All right, Omen, Exorcist. Omen, I don't know if Omen Exorcist. was Halloween was seventies. Yeah, Omen Halloween, 70s. Halloween, definitely. Halloween. Uh, um, um, Amityville Horror. 
Texas Chainsaw. Changeling. Okay. All right. No, so, Changeling's eighty. So let's uh, let's break down the the genre a little further. Is it supernatural? Do you think or like what do you want franchise or a slasher? I like the franchise because franchise yeah. eliminates like Halloween. Okay. Friday yeah. the Thirteenth. Sure. How about how about or no wait Friday the Thirteenth. Friday the eighties. Yeah. You go franchise. Yeah, let's get franchise. All right. Is this the franchise that's still going? Or? Yeah. Is this the franchise? Yes. Okay. Ooh. Oh shit! They are remaking The Exorcist. Maybe. <laughs> well, there's there's several Exorcists. Yeah, there's, there's, there's two, there's three. There's the two prequels. Yeah. TV show is there? Was there a TV show? Yes, yeah. there is. There is great. It's great too. Um, hmm. So, do we want to go if it's supernatural or slasher or anything like that? Uh, demonic, ghost. What do you want to think? Let's go. Let's go slasher. Mm. All right. Is this a slasher? No. No. Okay. Yeah, All right. No. Nope. Slasher movie was. Uh, been very, Halloween been, was the Halloween is the, right, the OG so. slasher. Texas Chainsaws given some, but that's okay. No slasher. You're not oh, keeping man. track. Okay. Oh, I'm keeping track. Okay. Um, also, you know, I've got to think that Alien. Oh yeah, came Alien out, was, and this is that was sci-fi. Mm-hmm. But it was a sci-fi C-C. horror. Yeah, and it's horror. Hmm. Okay. Where do, where, do, where, do we, where do we think of from here? Um, do I don't know. Let's go with ghosts. He yeah. Li- he likes ghosts? Yeah. Ask. Are there ghosts in this movie? No. <laughs> no, no ghosts. Maybe demons. No spooks. No spooks. Because specters. A lot of them had demons in that. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. No ghosts. I'm afraid no ghosts. And I'm sure this is very uh-huh. R. This is this is um this is, this is before they had PG thirteen, yeah, so this is, has to be R. This is prime. Yeah, yeah. You would assume. Film. Yeah, you would assume. Um Are there demons in this movie? No. No, no demons. Okay. Okay. So, so it could be just like a person. Yeah. Like a like, right, like just right. scary what God when, scary people, man. When did all those I'm gonna happen? ask you, you're gonna be mad at me. Is this is this a sci sci fi movie? No. Okay. Thinking All right. Thinking about it. No. No. Okay. Okay. What if it's a creature feature? No. Oh, no sci-fi. But what would the creature feature be in the seventies? That's eight. That's eight questions. Yeah. And we are nowhere. Ah, oh, we're getting. We're getting. We're <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get. We'll get it. We'll get that's it. true. Oh man. But it is a franchise. So let's remember that it's a franchise. Okay. Oh, that's true. And it's kind of sci-fi. It took oh. him some time. To I wonder if it's still. I wonder if the franchise is still ongoing. Okay. Is this franchise still going on? In any form? No. 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 Okay. okay. All right. So it's not an active franchise. Okay. So that means we can eliminate, like, well, it's not sci fi, so we could have already eliminated Alien. Yeah. Um. Okay. I wonder what kind of horror movie this could be. Yeah. Is this involved monsters anyway? Yes. Okay. It's okay. A monster-y, okay. Monster-y film. Okay. Monsters. Was there a Wolfman movie that came out in, like, the 70s? I don't no. think so. Um. And, uh, what about American Werewolf? That was in the eighties. No, no, that's yeah. the eighties, and it's not a franchise technically. It is. But is it? Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh-huh. yeah. Oh, um, gosh. I don't know, man. A monster uh, movie. What about like vampires? Yeah, so mm, Dracula vampires came out in that time. There like the, the, the there was uh, with uh, Frank Langella came out in mm. that time. Does okay. it involve vampires? No. 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 Okay. Man. All right. Ten questions. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What about Stephen King? That's what I was thinking, Stephen King. Also, we have... They, um, well, Stephen clear. King doesn't write franchises, though. No. Carrie was a franchise. Is Carrie a franchise? Yeah. Yeah. There's I mean, sequels. there's been more than... There's, there's sequels to it. There's... Uh-huh. Uh, I'm My okay, mind is blown right now. I, I mean, would you... Would you... Huh? Not a monster. 
She's just the, she's just the prepubescent I mean, child. And with telekinetic powers. Yeah. I mean, she was maybe not a monster in the classic sense. it takes place in like high school <laughs> with teenagers. I wonder if this ah. is like an ensemble cast. No, I no. wouldn't. I wouldn't bet. It's. I mean, I mean, horror movies. It's hmm. rare they have big. You know, yes, or, or no, well known. I, yeah, sure. I guess if it, slasher movies are the ones. What if it's in. based on a book? Yeah, go ahead. Is this based on a book? Ooh, um, good question. Let Phil. me check. Hold on. Make sure. All right, so it's not it's Stephen probably not King. Stephen King. Then. You can tell me the name of it. I'll check. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is not based on a book. Not based on a book. Okay. <laughs> not based on a book. All right. All right, Phil. What about I think like, now's the time uh, we we'll ask the before or after 75. Did this movie come out after J- January 1st, 1975? No. Okay, okay so, so it's early, early 70s. 70s. Mm. Oh, my gosh. This is... Okay. It can't be The Omen because The Omen has demons in it. Yeah. Right. Well, technically, if you birth the god of the demons, when I believe you dead. Oh, but that was the no, 60s. That was that was 60s. 60s. Yeah, but it could be. What about Dawn of the Dead? When did Dawn of the Dead come? When did the original Dawn of the Dead come out? That was I thought early that was 70s. like was it? Yeah, is this like involved zombies? No. Okay. No. Okay. okay. All right. So it was like all Romero. All right. No zombies. We're thirteen. Um, I'm almost thinking if we should. Try to like narrow down like if this is like a big time director. But if it's a monster, yeah. I can't think of what the monster would be. I don't know. In the seventies, it would have to be some kind of practical effect. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder if this is like eighties, right? I wonder. Yeah. I wonder if this is like a remake. Like, when did that Blob remake come out? That was eighties. That oh, that was eighties. Darn. I was wondering. If it was like something random, like. uh that's the one Killer Clowns. Oh, Killer yeah, Clowns was, from Outer Space. Yeah, that's the 90s. That would be sci-fi also. I'm not, like, oh, is it like, 80s? I think, so. I think it's 80s too, yeah. Um, okay, wait a minute. So it's a dead franchise. What do you got? Oh, yeah. Thinking? It's not active. I was going to say. What if it was, what if it was <laughs> yeah, uh, Evil Dead? Yeah. Mm. Um, I don't know, guys. I don't know where to go from here. Oh, shit. Um... Was this directed by a big time director? No. No. Okay. No. No, no director. No big D. Got it. <laughs> um, prolific, but I wouldn't say big time. Prolific. Okay. okay. Oh, geez. Now that makes me even more curious, right? I don't know. What do you think? I'm still thinking Evil Dead. Hmm. I can't remember when Evil Dead 1 came out, but... Is this a sequel? Like, this movie, is it a sequel, or is it the first? Is it a sequel? It's the first. It's the first, okay. okay. Right, so it is the though. first. 15, first in the fr- franchise. Okay. Oh, hmm. And Evil Dead has demons, so that definitely that's right. going to kind of get out that. Right. Yeah. And it's still active. We were just yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. that. Being... I know, but... Man, shit. I... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where he got All right, we we really got to try to narrow down some. Oh, oh what have you got? What have you got? Oh no, he said not big director. Well, what are you thinking? I was thinking Jaws. Jaws. Ah, oh, yeah, that definitely. Okay, I still don't consider Jaws horror. Do you definitely. consider Jaws horror? This isn't part of the questions, but that's based on a book. It is true. 
Uh, I mean, like on the periphery, right? Like it's it's more like adventure. Yeah, that's, you know, like that's... in a way, like with the with because because like when they go off to like go get the shark, you get all of that like. Let's go on the Goonies music. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's literally like a sea shanty. In a horror that film. Where does this movie take place? Is it like in the in the water? Because it'd be Piranha, maybe. Is this take? Uh, Karen uh, Knight on the setting here. Yeah, the yeah, setting. Should we narrow it down? Yeah. yeah does we, this, we does this movie take place in the water, like as a main? No, no. no. Okay, so it's not that. Okay. I wonder if this it takes place in like one location. Tremors was eighties, right? Yeah. yeah. Tremors was eighties. Kevin Bacon. Um, I still feel like this might be Amityville. It's ghosts, man. Is, oh, is it ghosts? Ghost yeah, it was ghosts. Yeah. That's right. Oh, Shit. No. I'm, I'm out, man. Is this Poltergeist? When's Poltergeist? No, no Poltergeist ghost. is ghosts. God, that's right. It's in the name. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> It's like if the movie know. was just called Ghost Movie. Ghost. Like, you're like, I'm, I'm um, a, I don't know. Man. I wonder if this is Ghost with Demi Moore. In. That's 1990. Oh <laughs> my gosh! I hope it is. Um, shit. We got it. We got we got, uh, three more questions and a guess. Three more questions okay. and a guess. So it's it's a monster movie. So let's let's try to. Is it something like? Uh, it's part of a franchise. And part that, of a franchise. <sighs> All right. I have no idea where to go from here. Phil, you got any questions? No, I got nothing. I'm sorry. I really don't have anything either. Does this what? have A-list actors in it? For the time? Hmm. For the time. At the time, let's see. Yeah. I'm like trying to look at my universal classes. No. 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 No? Hmm. No A-list actors. Guys, I think I think Brian's got us on this one. Yeah. All right, no A-list actors. All right, that is seventeen. So have we? Um, oh, I see. Have have we have we named this movie yet? Just while talking in the podcast, have we talked about this movie at all? Have we talked about this movie at all in the last? No. No. no, no, okay, okay. So we got one more question, and I guess have not talked about it. We okay, restarted so strong. Strong. I mean, I so strong. We narrowed down the year. And franchise and genre in four questions. We started so Texas strong. Chainsaw Massacre is still not going on. It's slasher. And, I mean, but it's slasher. That guy's a fucking. Isn't it mo- no, it, that this guy's has a monster. monsters. This has monsters. <laughs> yeah, it has monsters. Oh, oh, uh, oh. Hills Have Eyes. Oh, the original. Um, it, Hills Have Eyes is a franchise. Yeah, that's not going that's on. Not going on. Prolific director. I don't know who directed. Does that this movie. have mutants? Yes. Oh. oh. Lee. This is that has to be the question. Shit. Is this the, the Hills Have Eyes? No. Oh, oh no. Mutants. Oh man. Okay. All right. Well, that and was it. That was that was the last one, right? Yeah, that was it. All right. Be, you uh, beat us. What, what what was it? It was a 1974 film called It's Alive. Oh, it's alive. It's alive. I've never heard of that. No, I've never I, heard of that either. I'm watch it it's now. It's written and directed by Larry Cohen, and it's really interesting, right? Because you've got Rick Baker's full effects. It's about this couple that has this like mutant killer baby. Oh, what the? and there was It's Alive <laughs> yes. two, and then like an I think they did like another one in like the eighties. Um, yeah. and it was one of those movies. Oh, it, It's Alive three, Island of the Alive was eighty seven, hmm. and then a remake was released in two thousand and nine. And oh. it was one of those movies that was always on 
cable when I was a kid and used to scare the hell out of me. And it was all about like this couple, this normal seventies couple with like the collars and everything. They have this baby and Rick Baker did like the makeup stuff for like the baby, but you didn't see the baby until the end. And the baby would just go around like killing people. And like the dad was trying to like get the killer baby. And it's kind of an amazing thing. So if you haven't seen it, it's written and uh, directed by Larry Cohen, who is really prolific. I wouldn't say a list, but like, he's like, Close to stuff. So it's alive. Um, the stuff returned to Salem's lot. Oh, okay. Uh, he, he wrote phone booth. Oh, um, wrote cellular. So like a lot of phone. Larry Mm -hmm. did a lot of stuff, Mm -hmm. but he never really, he didn't become John Landis or anything. Right. Yeah. Landis adjacent. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of mutant babies, have you ever watched, this is just random. Have you ever watched uh, dead alive by uh, Peter Jackson? Oh, for sure. I was like, thinking about Dead that movie Alive the other day. was my first introduction to Peter Jackson. So when everyone it? was like, Lord of the Rings, I was like, the Dead Alive guy? <laughs> oh, man. That's, that's got to be one of my favorite horror movies. I, I love great. that. Oh, Have you watched oh, that Dead Alive no. is great. You know Frighteners is great. Um, oh, yeah. Heavenly Creatures is cool. Oh, I love Heavenly like, Creatures, yeah. Frighteners. Uh-huh. Jackson's got some really, really cool cool stuff. Oh, definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely have to dig into my older Jackson yeah. stuff. Well, Brian, thank you so much for uh, coming on our show and chit-chatting with us today. Um, real quick, tell all of our listeners where they can find you out on all of your social medias. Oh, yeah. I mean, Twitter is really where I'm the most active. You can just find me there. It's Brian with the Y. Brian at Brian Edward Hill, just my name. And that's really where I talk to most people. I have an Instagram. It's Brian E. Hill. But I don't like taking pictures of my life that much. So I don't <laughs> put a lot of stuff yeah. on Instagram. But Twitter is where I'm the most active, uh, and I, I, I love talking to people about writing and like what they're into, and you know, and stories and genre stuff and all that. So find me there. I love your I love your movie breakdowns on Twitter. By the way, like the other day when you were talking about uh, Man of Steel, and oh um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like I, Twitter can be just like a hellscape, right? So yeah, what I try to do is, um, you know, because we you know, we we used to always have uh, you know these kind of we probably still do. You guys probably still do it where you like have like really intense movie conversations, but they'll like live and die, you know, in, in that bar or at that restaurant or over at someone's house or whatever. And so whenever, you know, I'm having those, those kind of conversations with friends of mine, or I'm just like thinking through something. And I think there's something interesting we're sharing. I like putting it on Twitter, uh, you know, so other people can see it and be like, Oh yeah, I never thought about the Terminator being a horror movie like Halloween, you know? Um, you know, I never really considered this aspect of Man of Steel. I never thought about this thing, you know, so it's it's fine. Like, it, it keeps Twitter from just being a place where everyone's mad all the time. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Well, once again, thank you so much for coming on our show. We really appreciate having you on here. Um, I've been Chris Kiningham. You can find me on Twitter at KWK1223. You can follow the Thoughts from the Basement podcast on Twitter at TFTBpod. You can also email us your movie questions, your comments, your suggestions, your movie 20 question suggestions at TFTBpod at gmail.com. Alex, yep. where can people find you? So you can find me on Twitter at who's Alex Mark. Who's Alex Mark is this? And uh, come say hello. And yeah. And Phil, uh, you can find me at Punk Beats on the Twitters. There you go. At Punk, Punk Beats. Beats. At Punk Beats. Phil, Phil's last tweet is like going to see The Dark Knight tonight. <laughs> Finally, hope this Nolan knows what he's doing with Batman. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Phil hasn't tweeted in like. It's, it's, it was years. 2007, so it was before well, Dark Knight. Probably good for the soul. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it is. Yeah, good for true. The soul. He, he does tend to be the happiest out of all of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, you know, the, 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 the Twitter gives and the Twitter taketh away. That's true. <laughs> that is true. 
Well, Brian, thank you again for coming on. You are more than welcome to come back on anytime you ever want to. Yes, uh, please do. We really appreciate you coming on. And um, listeners, we hope you all have a great night. Thank you. Hi. Thank you. Thanks Cheers, fellas. Stay safe.